Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 110. And today, David Waddell stops by the show and talks about his journey into writing and how he didn't realize he had this gift, this knack for writing. And only to a f- until a few years ago, wasn't really writing all that much, but developed this ability to write and the encouragement of others. And now he's a published author. You're going to love this interview. But first, some intro music. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton. So glad that you are here. The podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well, because you have a story to tell and the world needs to hear it. So glad that you are here. And I can hear the rumblings already. Where have you been? What is going on? You disappeared and now you've reemerged. Where have you gone? Why aren't you here? Where are the podcasts on a weekly basis? And you are right. I have failed you. I have let you down, but I'm here and I have another great interview with David Waddell today, which I'll mention in just a moment here. Uh, But yeah, a couple things. If you have been around the show or maybe it's your first time listening, uh, I took kind of a mini sabbatical for the summer, doing a lot of podcasts, writing a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of family responsibilities, vacations, uh, worked in a hernia surgery. Yes, that's right. And also decided to move. And so two interesting insights into my life. And one is simply this is that if you have a hernia surgery, you're never going to hear a good story followed by, let me tell you about my hernia surgery. I have realized that everyone I've talked to that's had a hernia surgery. It's never, Oh, that was easy. That was great. It's no, it was awful. And why would you ever do that? And I didn't have a choice. Doctor made me do it. So yeah, hernia surgery, a little longer recovery than I realized. And then secondly, another story is that 
when you're moving, it's never that exciting and you never hear a good moving story. It's never, oh yeah, I moved and it was such a great, pleasurable experience. It is always a pain in the neck and there's always stuff going on and it's never that, that wonderful. And uh, yeah, that's, that's true. And so I thought I could be a hero. I thought I could go through the hernia surgery and move and still be able to crank out the podcast every week, but finally getting my podcast studio set up. So we don't want to leave you behind and, uh, and go from there. And so I'm, I'm excited about that and all that comes with that. And so I'm glad to check in with you again with another great interview with David Waddell. He has a new book, Worship Wars, The King's Lead in Battle to Spirit and Truth. It's going to be a great interview. And, and what I love about this interview is that he talks a lot about just wanting to write uh, not sure if he could write only till a few years ago, he works on a university campus and was just writing some things for kind of friends and family and just really found this joy and love for, for writing. And so wanted to share that with me and talk about that. And you're going to love this interview with David, David Waddell. And so without further ado, let's get into our conversation. Hey, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton. So glad that you are here today. And today I am privileged and honored and blessed to have David Waddell on the show. And uh, David has a new book coming out and uh, he works at the University of Mississippi and has a lot going on today. So I'm really glad that he could squeeze us in today. And David, why don't you say hello and uh, tell us something that nobody would know about you other than close friends or family. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and it's good to be here. Honored to, to be your guest today. Uh, one of the things I always share when this question comes up that the most folks don't know is that I had the joy of being a peanut vendor at AutoZone Park in Memphis for one ball game. It had been kind of a bucket list uh, item, and I swindled a young man into uh, letting me go up and down. Uh, the church I worked at at the time was having uh, the night at the stadium, and uh, the guy made unbelievable tips off of me. So that's that's something that not many people know. Well, I love it. I love it. You know, it's funny you say that. I've actually been to. Uh, I grew up in L.A. and I used to go to Angel Games baseball. And uh, I've always I always wanted to be the peanut guy. I just thought that would be the coolest gig. Yeah, toss um, it under your leg. Behind yeah, back, all that fun stuff. They look like they're having fun. Uh, <laughs> So we have a lot to talk about, David, and uh, I know you have a you have a new book out, Worship Wars, uh, the King's uh, Lead in Battle to Spirit and Truth, and Lead the Battle to Spirit and Truth. And uh, before we get into that, I want to talk a little about you, kind of where you where'd you come from, and and how'd you get into writing, and and give us a little bit on that that journey. Well, um, have not been a writer very long, other than uh, I did spend twenty years in in church work, working in recreation uh, ministries and wrote weekly newsletters, but I think in the 20 years of church work, Ryan, I think maybe two people said that was a good article. Um, so I never really thought much of it. Uh, in 2012, I had some heart trouble and uh, went through uh, some struggles with, uh, had to have it shocked back into rhythm. And so Facebook had become uh, large at that point. And so I did a series of uh, writings that I called the top 10 reasons I was glad I had heart trouble. <laughs> and it was dealing with things like uh, friends that were cardiac nurses, um, a retirement community I worked with once that got me a second opinion for no cost, um, just all kinds of things. The, the fact that you need to 
give up on grudges, all those things worked into a top 10 list. And surprisingly enough, uh, people said, this is good, you ought to write a book. And then I had one lady friend that said, uh, can you put this in book form, uh, the 10 steps or the 10 uh, reasons and give me uh, that for my birthday. And uh, I'm always wired that if a good looking lady asks me something, the answer is always going to be yes. <laughs> and so I got it hardbound for her and uh, then did some uh, print copies just at UPS stuff for other friends and everything. And was amazed at the encouragement that I got about being a good writer. Uh, this young lady actually is the only one that owns a hardback version of all of my books because of that, uh, that gift. But just little by little, I started uh, getting into it. And, and then I think, Ryan, what drove me most for the first two books was the idea that a lot of people, even though they believe in God, they don't think they're good enough to serve God, or they've got something in their past that keeps them from serving God. And I just saw story after story of something silly, sinful, or stupid that I did in my life that compared to a Bible character. So that was the, the launch of the first two books. The third one was really uh, dealing more with the worship aspect. Uh, churches nowadays are either traditional in their worship or they're contemporary. And um, uh, as I pointed out in the book, I think the Hatfields and McCoys had nicer times together uh, than some of our church folk did. So that's that's the motivation on the third book. Well, I, I love your, your story because I think even just sharing part of it is such an encouragement to people that uh, I, I hear this this constant uh, refrain all the time is I didn't really realize I could write until I started writing about something maybe that wasn't maybe I wasn't even that excited about, you know, you're going through yeah. some, obviously some heart troubles and had no idea. And then people kind of come along and go, Hey, you're actually pretty good at this. Um, I've heard that story time and time again, or people that yeah. blogged on a total different subject and then ended up writing novels or whatever. Um, and, and I think that's a, that, that so many people I think ha have that gift or ability or, you know, again, writing isn't meant for just a certain class of people. I think there's so many more gifted writers than, than people realize, but even writing, you know, church newsletters or whatever. Uh, and yeah, you kind of discover that along the way. So, uh, so tell me a little bit, kind of your, your upbringing. I mean, did you, uh, you know, who influenced you when you started, you know, writing? I mean, were there books you read as a kid? Were there, were there a certain style you were kind of going for? You just kind of just let it go and see, see what happens. It, it's kind of crazy. I did not read much as a child. In fact, uh, my parents uh, saw an avid love for me in baseball, football, and basketball. So they took a subscription out for a sporting news magazine one year at Christmas. And uh, it would come in the mail on a weekly basis, and I would just devour it. And uh, that was their way of making me start reading. But um, I don't know that I ever made it through Tom Sawyer all the way back as a child. I have read it uh, since since then. But just not much of a reader. Uh, I think the ones that have inspired me most uh, may not even be in a writing sense, but the comedy of Tim Conway has uh, been a good inspiration to me. Uh, a lot of ways, the writing of Max Lucado in the uh, Christian faith realm uh, has been good. Uh, I had one uh, um, response to my books that said that I was the risque Max Lucado because uh, mm -hmm. I tell all in my stories. <laughs> Uh, but Lucado was good. Uh, some of my other mentors were those that helped shape me into uh, my church ministry. A um, man by the name of Bobby Shouse, who actually was one of the basketball players for Mississippi State that helped break the 
racial barrier in the NCAA tournament back in 1963. So just little by little, people have shaped and molded me. Got a sense of humor from my uh, my father. He passed away 17 years ago, and I'll say things still and think he's not dead. It, I'm him. <laughs> um, so just uh, been blessed in a lot of ways with uh, people uh, touching me. Well, I can, I can tell, you know, I've I read some of your blog and, and some of your book too. And, and, you know, you are a natural storyteller. And I, I wonder, you know, you've been, I know you've worked a lot in like sports ministry and, and now in a college university setting and, you know, been around a lot of, especially if you've been in church world, I mean, you, you're around all kinds of different people and different background. I mean, it's just collecting stories after stories of, yeah. you know, all kinds of things. You've obviously lived in different places. You know, we have a Kansas city connection. Uh, our hearts always being broken by the sports there, but um, uh, so so tell us a little bit. Like, has that shaped? I mean, I'm just assuming, and I don't want to kind of lead you in that, but I mean, just just the different places you've been and experiences you've had. I mean, you've just had some really interesting stories to kind of add to your your writing and blogging and all that. Is that has that shaped you and in, in how you've become it, a, a writer? It's a great question, as leading as it may be. Um, yes, that has shaped me uh, in incredible ways. Um, I've spent um, First 12 years of my life in Kansas City, grew up the rest of the way in Springfield, Missouri, went back to work at the church in Springfield during my uh, career, spent time in Memphis, uh, Texas. I, I tell some people between Kansas City, Memphis, and Texas, uh, which are also known as three of the top four barbecue places in the world, that maybe my life was committed more to barbecue than it was uh, anything else. Um, but yes, the stories have, have been excellent uh, and, and just that aspect uh, of hearing other people. Uh, I'm the kind that could sit and listen to someone tell a story. And in church work, I had plenty of opportunity for that. I, I always point out when I was in high school, I had a friend that played the guitar. And he would sit on one stairwell in the church playing guitar. And all of the girls our age were around him wanting him to play another song. I had all the second and third graders with me when I was 14 or 15 wanting me to tell them another story. So mm -hmm. the storytelling has been with me mm -hmm. for some time. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that's a, a great tool that people don't, don't realize is they wonder, you know, how do I, how do I write? Is it, you know, can I do that? And a lot of times it's just think of all the stories that you could tell about different situations and experiences. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think that's a, always a great lead into, I mean, any kind of books we enjoy usually have a story element, even if it's nonfiction. Uh, no, but that's great. So do we want to settle the barbecue argument right now, you know, for the, our audience, like who has the best barbecue? I mean, you've lived in different places. If it's beef, I'm going to Texas. If okay. it's pork, I'm going to either Kansas City or Memphis. I, I can't make up my mind on the two. Okay. Uh, they're very similar. But uh, Carolina, I'm sorry, they're in fourth place. Okay. I'm surprised you said pork for Kansas City. But, yeah, I know Carolina, you know, good for pork. Uh, you know, I'd go, you know, brisket for Kansas City. But they're all different. I don't think people realize, like, barbecue is different. You know, Texas, right. they, don't, they don't use sauce. It's more rubs and yeah. Kansas now, City is uh, more favorite. sauce. Where's your favorite place in Kansas City, if I can ask? Well, uh, probably favorite has to be, uh, well, it used to be Oklahoma Joe's, but now it's okay. Joe's KC. Uh, they have, probably have the best ribs I've ever had, yeah. uh, hands I, down. I won't argue with you there. Yeah, yeah, they're in the ben top Arthur, top three always. Um, been an Arthur Bryant fan a long time. Arthur Bryant, yeah, that's my top three too. I like the spicy sauce, so <laughs> I'm getting hungry. So, uh, right. no, that's okay. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, there's something about, um, also like your life experiences when, when, you know, people are, 
writing and, and there's so much to draw from. I mean, you talked about your dad, you talked about sports, you talked about, you know, ministry, you talked about living in different places. There's so much we can draw from if we kind of sit for a while and kind of get those out, you know, as, as far as how that shapes, how we think about the world and, and things like that. So, so let's talk a little bit about the new book because, um, you know, I was looking at just kind of the different books you've written and your blogging and, and the work you're doing. I mean, it's very obviously different than, you know, worship stuff. Um, but yeah, well, tell us a little bit kind of what was the, the origin story of the book? I mean, what, what kind of gave you the idea or, or you talked about a little bit about churches, you know, battling over worship and style and stuff like that. But like, yeah, why, why, why this, why now? Part, part of it was the battling that has taken place. Um, four of the five churches I've been involved with on staff or seriously went through this discussion and this, uh, this battle. And some dealt with it by, by doing both in a service and bothering everyone. Uh, some differentiated one is a contemporary service, one's traditional. Some churches have just said, this is who we are. But I think one of the things that drove me most in it was the fact that people that believed that they liked traditional worship thought those that like contemporary were of the devil or vice versa. There was an either or. You you either worshiped my way or you're not really worshiping. And I wanted to get out of that mold. Um, the, the scripture, Jesus says, worship is done in spirit and truth, never talks about uh, style or anything. The other thing that motivated me, oddly enough, was my youngest son had this knack of singing church songs when he was in the bathroom but he never got the lyrics correct. And there was a song that we sang that went, you are worthy, but he was singing it. You are wormy. <laughs> and so as I contemplated that as this topic came to mind, I started thinking, you know, really our efforts in worship is pretty wormy. We, we mm. try to be perfect. We try to be our best. And um, the, the, one of the beauties of worship is that it's humans leading humans. And so we're going to hit the wrong note. I'm going to sing early before everyone else starts singing. I mean, just those kind of things happen. And, and um, we had one situation when I was in college, I was serving as a youth minister at a church nearby Springfield and they were doing the baptistry and um, in, in Baptist churches, the pastor wears chest waders for the baptistry because then he can just rip those off. He doesn't have to get changed. He can get back to the service quickly. And uh, he was wearing a light gray suit that night. And um, as he stepped out onto the platform, there was appeared to be a wet spot right around the midsection of his uh, uh, pants. And he could not think of the word chest waders as he got up to the uh, uh, platform to, to welcome the guests. And he said, folks, excuse the wet, wet, side, uh, wet uh, spot. And he shook his pant legs out. He said, my, um, my thingy must have leaked. <laughs> and, and of course the church just busted out right. and, and though that's 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 what i love is that um we try to be so perfect in things mm -hmm. and and i think god just laughs with us sure sure no, i i like that so uh you know when you when you describe just for those that maybe not aren't familiar with like traditional versus you know contemporary worship i mean you're, you're talking about kind of style of you know, worship for different kinds of churches, like whether they use instruments or whether they use hymns or whether they use, is that, is that how you define it? That is, that is contemporary is more uh, a band led and chorus driven. Uh, traditional is going to be piano and organ, probably a choir 
uh, in the crowd as well uh, mm-hmm. to, to sing. Though that's pretty much the best way of dividing uh, mm-hmm. the two the two different styles. Now you you've been um, it sounds like living and serving in you know predominantly in the South and Midwest area. Um, how, how have you seen that? Has that been more? And I don't know if you've been around the country or, or you know observed other churches in other places. But I mean, is it is it are these wars happening more so in kind of more southern Midwest areas? Uh, southern and Midwest has been hit hard. But um, when I did some research on the book and was talking to people in uh, Ohio, in um, uh, Massachusetts, uh, same kind of stuff, uh, just uh, the whole idea. And and, and the, the beauty of it, Ryan, is neither side is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just their style. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I think one of the reasons I wanted the book to come out is that it's okay. If, if you like traditional worship, find traditional worship and, and vice versa. Well, I like that. No, and I think that's, yeah, it's one of those things that's, it's, it's kind of a silly thing because I, I, you know, I've seen it both sides done poorly. I mean, some would argue, well, it's, you know, only if it's this way, you know, traditional Mm -hmm. or contemporary and and both can, can be kind of done really poorly or without any heart or any thinking behind it. I mean, so it's not like style that really drives it, but but a lot of times it's, it's kind of like, why are we doing this or why are we fighting over this? Is this, you know, um, and, and I'm realizing too, even as a, uh, you know, I'm a pastor in a local church and, um, you know, it's, it's not a young versus old either that the, the, no. the fight can be on both sides that, that some actually are saying, you know, forget the tradition, even though I've been in the church my whole life, but you know, we want the contemporary or vice versa. So it can happen on both sides. Um, who would you say, you know, if, if someone were to go and buy your book, I mean, who, who would this really benefit, uh, to really kind of engage in this conversation? A couple of things that I think, Ryan, one is, uh, millennials who want, um, people to be real. In other words, no facades, no fake. Uh, my stories are, are really from the heart and they're from my life. Uh, uh, I'll point out the screw-ups that I make. And so I think people that are looking for genuine faith, uh, I would recommend uh, any of my books to them for that. Um, I, I also think those that have been in the church a long time that have witnessed these fights, uh, the worship wars especially would be good for them to, to read. Um, I, I think of one man at the church I worked at in Memphis when they were looking at doing one service contemporary and one traditional. And, and he just simply said, if we can do one of the services in a contemporary fashion and we can help a family get to know God and become involved in a church, he said, I don't see any way we can't do it. And I, I loved, I loved that guy. What a great attitude uh, that he had. So I think folks that have been through the battles uh, would also appreciate this book because uh, they'll, they'll resonate with several of the stories. That's good. No, I, yeah, I think that it's, it's a conversation that I think is st- still going on. And I think it, it, it is sad because I think it has divided a lot of churches. It's split a lot of churches just over. And if we're going to divide over, you know, music style, that's, that's kind of silly in my, my opinion. I, I told <laughs> folks, I'll, I'll be glad the day comes when uh, churches start fighting over carpet color. And lighting. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, so I, I'm really glad that you've, you know, written, but I think this could, could help a lot of people. I, I think too, you know, cause I met, you mentioned it and I mentioned it too, is just the generation gap that it's, I think it, what it can do is bring people together age wise, especially cause churches typically are demographically young and old and everything in between. And, right. and I think that's important because I think sometimes we, we talk past each other and we don't realize that, 
you know, really we can get, we can figure something out rather than kind of divide over these things and and assume it's, well, it's just the old people. Oh, it's just the young people, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's great. So, so tell me a little bit. Um, we always like to dig into uh, not only the content of your book, but also the process of writing your book. And so I know every book kind of takes its own shape and size and, and give us a little insight into the world of David and his kind of writing process. Like, how do you, how do you go from kind of the beginning seed of an idea? Like when you were thinking about worship wars to kind of the finish finished manuscript, what does that look like for you kind of daily, weekly, monthly, yearly kind of thing? It, it's one of those things, and I've heard other writers say the same thing, Ryan, that the greatest ideas come when you wake up at two in the morning. <laughs> right. And so uh, part of my style was just simply to get up and jot a note down, because I've also done that where I've gone back to sleep and then not remembered uh, the best way. The, the difficulty came on some nights is that I'd wake up at two and I would have an idea for a portion of the worship story. But then I couldn't go to sleep because I'd start developing the idea in my head. So I'd just get up and, and write. Um, I tend to, to put things down on paper first and then go back and look at it. Um, I, I have a little bit of a sense of humor. And so I oftentimes will just write it down completely and then go back and look at things that might make a, a different touch. Or I could say it a different way and it would have more meaning. But when I first sit down, I'll have an idea. So for this one, uh, I knew that I wanted to use the kings of uh, Israel and Judah as my examples for worship behaviors. Um, So I just read a lot about the kings of Israel and Judah through the Bible, through other resources, just tried to learn everything I could about them um, so that I could then relate that to an aspect of worship. And so I had an outline to begin with. for, for each chapter, uh, even the chapters that I ended up cutting because it didn't fit into, uh, into the organization as well. So outlined first, then just pick one and started writing, or it might be the driving home from work. I'd have an idea on something with Hezekiah, and I'd come home and just finish that thought. And so it, it wasn't, my writing wasn't necessarily chapter one, and then chapter two, it, it bounced all over the place based on my own short attention span. Okay. I like that. So tell, tell us a little bit, you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times, like you're a storyteller, you like to, you know, weave in stories. That's one of the struggles I have with nonfiction is uh, remembering stories. You know, uh, you know, do you, do you get a, get a story and then write it down and then go, okay, I'm going to include this. Or is it as you're writing, you think of a story, tell us a little bit, is there a way you kind of keep track of all the different, you know, kind of stories and experiences you've had that kind of work their way into the book? Usually it would be the fact that uh, as I was looking at uh, particular kingly behavior and how that would teach us something about worship, um, sometimes it took a great deal of thinking and meditation, but the story would pop in. I would remember something that someone told me. I would remember a story from the past, um, and then kabam, here we go. So um, I usually, the story fit into the lesson rather than the story driving the lesson. But yeah, most of the time I'd have to write it down. Um, I get people that uh, get after me because I keep a pad of paper in my car. And um, some people say, well, you should get a tape recorder. Well, if I set it on my leg and I can watch the 
the, the road and hold the wheel with one hand, <laughs> I can jot down the note. The difficulty with that sometimes is if it's not written plainly enough, I'll look at the paper and wonder what in the world was <laughs> right. I thinking about. Right. But just, I, I do have to write things down or else, or else they're gone. So I, I would jot them down. But again, I would let the, the, the message I was trying to tell drove the story rather than vice versa. Now, when you're you're starting uh, this book and maybe even past books, do you have kind of a, a page count in mind or word count or amount of chapters or how, how do you kind of decide like what your deadline is going to be, how many words you think it needs to be, or do you just kind of let it let the book be what it needs to be? This one, I just let it be what it was going to be. And then when it's finished, that's when I start cutting because um, the first two I did uh, were about 100,000 words and most recommendations are 80 to 90,000 for books. So I, I cut the third one back. Uh, the first two retail at $25. This one retails at 20, which is all driven by page count, mm -hmm. basically. And so I, I tried to cut back a little bit and make it more uh, customer friendly in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, the first one, actually, when I finished it, um, I, I tell people it was written based on my own sin and stupidity and the relation it had to uh, Bible characters. And it ended up being the size of war and peace. <laughs> so I, that's why I separated out the holiday stories and created the second book of holiday biblical characters. So those two books really were kind of the first draft of the first book. Okay. I like so that. If I'm to do it again, I'd like when I start my fourth book, I'll shoot for 80,000 words again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you're you're tapping into something that's interesting too. Is a lot of times when we write a book, we think we're writing just one, but it ends up being two, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, really synthesizing it down to have one kind of main point or one main theme is right. can be the challenge, you know, because it's I've had that with editors. I bring it back, and it's like, well, you have two good books here, you know, we need to do one, and uh, but then it's great because then you're like, well, I, maybe there's another seed of an idea over here that I can flush out or or do it right. a little bit different. You had uh, you had mentioned in one of the Monday motivations because I've listened to you some, so I'd be ready for today. And <laughs> you talked about the one main theme going mm -hmm. through the story, and and I after you said it, I thought, whoo, I'm so glad I did that. I didn't even know I did it, but mm -hmm. I, I did it, and and that does really help make the point better. Yeah, it's it and it's the hardest thing. I mean, uh you know, when you think of even like back cover copy and trying to summarize a synopsis of your story, like if you can't yeah. do it, then you're probably not done. You know, you probably have too many books going on or too yeah. many ideas. Well, it's kind of this and it's kind of that and it's kind of, you know, um <laughs> which, you know, it sounds like your your book this book is very clear on what it is and what it isn't. Uh so tell us a little bit um just okay, so you're uh, you're starting the book. How long did it take you to write this book in particular? Uh, it was a three-year process. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I started this hmm. one right after the first two came out in 2015. Okay. So it's a, it's a labor of love. and It's a labor of love. And, and it's one of those things that I, I tell other people that, that tell me they want to write, that they have this full-time job. It just you have to fit the time in. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you have to. There were nights I would just put on my schedule Thursday night writing so that I wouldn't put myself doing something else because I knew I had to uh, give the time for it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not going to be one of those in, until I retire. I won't be one that turns out a book every other month. Mm -hmm. Probably not even when I retire. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, those listening to, I mean, those, especially nonfiction, you know, nonfiction tends to be just, just takes longer. There's more research. There's more, mm -hmm. you got to be more exact, you know, I mean, not that novel writing is not exact, but it's, you know, it's storytelling. It's a little, you have a little right. more freedom. 
Um, no, that's good. Uh, so when you, when you're done, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm, I imagine start to finish was probably three years, but you know, once you have the kind of a final manuscript that you feel good about, you know, it goes to an editor or a proofreader, what, give us a little bit kind of that, that process. What were some of the, the feedback as well? Kind of when you got it back, what do you do with it after that? The, um, uh, company that I work with, uh, did allow for editing services and, um, um, I tell people that I go ahead and utilize it. I know my English teachers from high school are probably turning over in their grave when I write things out. Um, so someone said, well, do you use an editor? And I said, yes, um, because there's a difference in proper English and hillbilly English. <laughs> and so uh, I found it very helpful. And um, uh, of all things, just the proper placement of a comma will sometimes catch me. And so I, I recommend to people, it's worth the money to hire a good proofreader, uh, a good editor. Uh, it's just, especially if you're going to put your book out on the market to be in competition with others, uh, you just can't afford it. Now, of course, um, the day after the first book was out, I noticed a mistake that all of us missed. Um, I put more chapters in the book of Mark than are actually in the book of Mark. <laughs> and because uh, I meant Matthew, but I put Mark down. So mm -hmm. if you're looking in your Bible for Mark 24 for that story, don't. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's that's classic. Plus, there, there's a, a message within your message, Ryan, in, in my opinion, and that is if you read the first paragraph of my book and it it's full of errors. I've lost all credibility for the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. So I, on all three of the books, uh, my publisher went through a content editing to make sure that I didn't say anything that would be slanderous or libel for, on someone or that uh, I didn't use inappropriate stories or inappropriate language. Um, and then they went through with the grammar check. And so I, I felt like both of those were very helpful uh, to me. And, and they caught a couple of things that I, I just hadn't thought through on the initial uh, manuscript that could have gotten me in trouble mm -hmm. with that. So it, it's really a little it. extra expense, uh, even for self-published folks, uh, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely need someone, some other eyes on it other than our own, whether you pay or not. I think it's really important. Uh, and you know, it's funny, even if you do, you know, like you sound like you did a very thorough edit, you still miss things. Um, I, I was funny. I was a few months ago, I think I've shared this story maybe on the podcast before, but a few months back, maybe last year, actually, uh, really well-known book. I won't say what it was, but I mean, it was literally the first paragraph. There was an error and a mistake. And I just couldn't, you know, I'm in my head, but it made me feel good too. Like it just, yeah, yeah. you know, cause I'm like, you know what? We're infallible, you know, and it's yeah. just part of it. But I mean, it was like very blatant, like three sentences <laughs> in I'm like, okay, I'll keep reading it. But I'm going to yeah. remember this. Um, and you try not to be judgmental, but right. then it's, it's there. Yep. Yep. And it, it happens, but no, that's really, I think good advice. Yeah. Get, get some other eyeballs on it. Um, so, you know, you've, you've written a few books and, and obviously these have been, you know, big, bigger books. I mean, 80,000 words, hundred thousand words, a lot of, a lot of time. Um, you know, what, what has been kind of some advice, some things you've learned kind of along the way as a writer about yourself, about the process, um, what are some kind of principles that you'd want to kind of lay before us uh, that could help us? I think one of the greatest things I've learned, Ryan, is no matter what the voices in my head say about not putting that story out there, someone needs to hear that story. Mm -hmm. um, our, our fellow Oxford writer, uh, William Faulkner, and I'm paraphrasing it, but said we write because we have a story that someone needs to hear. And, um, but I, 
I've yet to write anything that I wouldn't look at it again and say, okay, that just is stupid. Mm-hmm. And yet when I would publish it on a blog or, or share it on a Facebook, someone would say, wow, I needed to hear this. So one of the things I would say, one of the principles I have is write it, check it, edit it, look it over, make sure it's good and, and then hit submit and, and don't worry about how stupid you, you may look. Mm-hmm. Um, because more than likely, number one, if it is stupid, most people won't tell you. Mm-hmm. And if someone does, then you have someone in agreement with you because you knew it was stupid to begin with. <laughs> so I, I always say just, just write. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I read in a uh, Mark Batterson book before I started writing was he, he said, if, if you feel the inclination to write, just write. Worry about publishing later. Mm-hmm. And so that would be my suggestion to others. Just mm-hmm. sit down and start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's countless how many people say I've got a book in my head. And um, the reason it's not on paper is because they just never put it on paper. So mm-hmm. one of the principles I have is if you come up with something, put it down, write it, uh, mm-hmm. get it going. Um, another thing is just time management. Um, it, it's easy uh, in the evening after a day at work when you're trying to balance full-time work and writing. Uh, it's easy sometimes to turn the TV on and numb yourself till bedtime. Um, it, it just takes some discipline to sit back at the uh, keyboard and and pound it out. And I'm not the expert by any means uh, in that, but it's a principle that I've learned and, mm-hmm. and try to abide by. That if I have something to write, sit down and, and get it going. Inspiration's a wonderful thing, but I've also learned the old aspect of fake it till you make it. <laughs> that um, if you start writing, uh, I, I found ideas start coming. So those are some of the principles uh, that mm-hmm. I, that I uh, operate with. Um, funny fact, the, the room in my house where I do my writing um, makes my dog jealous. So whenever I start pounding on the keyboard, she wants to go out or wants to play. I don't know what it is about writing that makes that dog uh, want or desire attention, but um, it, it's fun sometimes mm-hmm. to uh, to right. do that. Well, yeah, and I think what you're describing is just all of us, whether you're full-time or not, it's, it's life, right? It's jobs, pets. Yeah family, you know, there's always distractions. There's always, there's never going to be, you know, it's like the, you know, they say, well, you know, you got to wait till you have money to get married. And, and it's like, well, when is that money coming? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to wait to have kids because you know, you need money. It's like, well, okay, well, I guess we're never going to do this. You know, yeah. same with writing. It's if we just keep waiting, put it, pushing it off, there never yeah. really is a great time. And, and I think you have to, you know, a few words here, a few words there. So yeah, that, that's really helpful advice. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and, and having some kind of, you know, plan or some kind of routine that kind of gets those words on the page. Everybody's going to look different. It's going to be different times. Exactly. And, but, you know, 500 words a day adds up over a year. So, correct. you correct. know, and that's, that's what people don't realize. It's like, well, it's only a little bit. It's like, well, in, in a year you can have a whole book done. Yeah. Um, so one big question we get on this show a lot, and it's one that we'll never probably on this side of heaven really nail down. But w- what has been helpful as far as getting eyeballs on your work as far as marketing, as far as, um, getting the word out, anything that's been kind of helpful for you. Um, I know you've written a, a variety of books, but you know, anything that that's kind of been helpful you'd want to share with us? The, the best success I've had in, in awareness building is through social media. Okay. Um, social media has not driven sales very much, uh, unfortunately. Um, but, um, it, it does get the word out there. And, um, 
I'm also in a unique position because I didn't write to make money on the book. I wrote to tell a story and give people hope. So there's a part of that 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 I'm not concerned about. But on the other hand, if they don't know it's there, they won't they won't read it. Mm-hmm. So my social media has been the greatest aspect. I just recently uh, uh, went on with a publicity service, uh, Lavage. Uh, company and they're the ones that actually uh, sent you material on me and mm-hmm. and got this connection. So I'd say for writers that are ready to get serious and getting the word out there, that uh, a publicist may not be a bad a bad idea. But personally, uh, I've used word of mouth contacts. I've used email. Uh, I've used uh, social media. Um, I'm in the process of of getting a book that I can do a giveaway to try and build an email. Uh, account with um, some of the things I've seen in marketing say that email um, for authors is still the number one way of driving sales, but you're not going to get an email address unless you give them something. So Mm. one of the things I'm working on on a new book is just simply to make it a PDF and give it away in exchange for an email address and try to push that uh, mindset as well. I've done some uh, book signings in a variety of places and taken out ads in papers uh, for those things, um, had, had some success with that. Um, I, but mostly I just tell my friends, um, um, some of them I'll say, I'm going to give you a book because you're my friend, but if you like it, you either have to write a review or you have to buy one for someone. Mm -hmm. And so it's a gift, but it's a gift with strings attached. And Mm -hmm. of course I don't follow up to see if they've done either one, but you know, just even the giveaways I think are, are helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, over the last uh, four years, have done several tours because of being in academics. My summer is somewhat free, so I've uh, driven um, through all the uh, lower 48 states and found independent Christian bookstores and donated books to them for their review to uh, put on shelves. So um, that was another technique I, I used to get the word out there. That's great. No, that's great. I think, I mean, what I hear you saying is a lot of it is just kind of pounding the pavement and just word of mouth and letting people know. And yeah, I think, you know, with social, it's funny, you nailed it. I think you said exactly what social really is. Social doesn't sell books, but it does make people aware. And and especially the first time someone sees it, I can be like, Oh, let me run to the store and get that. Or let me, you know, it takes, it takes some time like, Hey, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. David wrote a book. Um, you know, Ryan wrote a book. Um, you know, and I think that's important and not to be spammy or, you know, every other post is, Hey, here's my book. <laughs> you, right, know, that's, right, you know, right. then you're just that guy. So you don't want to yeah, be that don't guy. Don't forget to click here. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, that's great. You know, I, I think, you know, people don't realize in sales too, like, you know, just hitting the pavement, getting to bookstores, you can, you know, sell books that way. I, yeah. I, I have a middle grade novel. I've sold to local bookstores and done signings and it's really, uh, still fruitful. So right. it, it can, it can be done. Um, so I know you just finished the book. We'll have it all in the show notes. Uh, but is there anything else you're working on? And then also where can uh, people find you? Well, um, I do have a new, uh, website that's davidwaddell.biz, B-I-Z, um, that has a link to, uh, all the uh, books as well as blogs. Um, my, uh, blog is titled ministry amiss. A-M-I-S-S, um, and it's for misfits, mistakes, and and uh, folks that uh, feel like they're not all that. Um, um, my Facebook page um, is uh, uh, titled Just Like Biblical People, or it's actually Characters of the Bible is the title of it. They can find me uh, there as well. Um, and then 
um, if they just go to their local independent bookstore or even uh, uh, Barnes and Nobles, if they have it in stock or not necessarily at the store, but they can get it. So no, that, yeah, that's, that's people don't realize too, is yeah, you can, you can order books from the big, big sellers and, uh, and go find it. So, so David, this has been a, a pleasure and I love your story. Uh, I love the themes of grace and misfits and falling on our faces because that's who you and I are. And most people are actually everyone is, even yeah. if we don't realize it. And I love that you're, you're writing books about that. And, uh, and I know this is going to help a lot of people. Thanks for sharing your writing wisdom and knowledge. I know that's going to help a lot of people too. So thanks for coming on the show. Ryan, I appreciate it. If I can ever help you again, let me know. All right. All the best. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, David Waddell. What a great conversation with David. And again, I, th- I think the, the takeaway is sometimes books are going to take a long time. Sometimes they're going to be a labor of love. David, I know a couple of his books, this last one I think took took three years, and maybe it was the first one, I forget, but but just keeping at it. And we have responsibilities, day jobs, friends, family to take care of. And yeah, we have to have to keep making that time to do it. And for some of us, we're not sure, is is writing the thing I need to do? Is that something that I'm called to do, that I have gifts to do? And David kind of found that out just by doing it. And I think that's a, a great encouragement to us and ins- inspiration to us is just to keep keep on working at it, working at the craft, uh, chipping away, and then sharing our work. And I think that's what we, we have to get to a point where we say, hey, I have this message, I have this idea, I have this novel, whatever it may be that I want to share with the world and, and go and, and do that. And so thank you, David. Go check out his stuff. I'll put that in the show notes. And you can also check out, I'll get more writing resources on the prolificwriter.net. Um, and as always, if you get a chance, leave a rating, a review on iTunes. It really helps us out, uh, get the show out into the world to serve more writers and help more people. So this has been Ryan J. Pelton from the prolific writer. So glad that you stopped by. And before I go, I just have one more thing to say, get those words on the page and I'll talk to you real, real soon. person's story has something to teach us how others view life how obstacles are overcome how joy is felt how fears are faced how love is expressed the matters of faith podcast explores individual stories of people's lives and how faith plays a part it may not be your story but it may help shape yours the matters of faith podcast with jay wilburn is on project entertainment network This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.